Infinite Shelf is brought to you by Shopware. Shopware is an open commerce platform built for brands to deliver the experience their customers need today and into the future. Learn more at shopware.com slash infinite shelf. Infinite Shelf is brought to you by Gorgeous, the number one e-commerce help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce brands. With Gorgeous, you can automate up to 20% of your commonly asked questions. Plus, it seamlessly integrates into your existing tech stack. Visit G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot com slash Infinite Shelf for two months free. Infinite Shelf is brought to you by Triple Whale. Triple Whale's powerhouse platform makes it easy to understand your ad spend across media. Visit trytriplewhale.com slash infinite shelf to try it for yourself. Hello, and welcome to Infinite Shelf, the human-centric retail podcast. I'm your host, Ingrid Millman-Cordy, and I'm joined today by, you may know them, Brian and Philip from Future Commerce. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, good to be back. Thanks, Ingrid. (laughs) I love the the bookends. I feel like this might be this might be a fun thing to do. We'll do a kickoff with you guys and say hello, and then wrap it up. uh, We'll disappear for an indiscriminate period of time. (laughs) We'll come back. No, I I think it's been so awesome to watch you grow and creating content, uh, Ingrid. And uh, you had such an amazing journey over the last year, and uh, it's great to come back and revisit some of that with you. Totally. Yeah, it's it. Uh, there's some like all time favorite moments from Infinite Shelf that happened on the season, and so I'm excited, excited to be uh, here at the end of so, sort of the the bridge episode between season two and season three. This is awesome. Definitely, yeah. And stay tuned, everyone, to get a little glimpse of what we have cooking up for season three. I think it'll be really exciting, and it's it's frankly it's content that I want to hear as a, as a listener myself. So stay tuned. Um, but all right, season two, what a journey! So season two sort of <laughs> started off in one direction. We were trying to do some problem solving with real live founders and CEOs, and we actually had some fantastic conversations with actual problems and people that were having issues with, you know, the privacy updates and acquisition and the cost of acquisition and what that all looks like in today's current landscape. And then, you know, people problems and trying to evolve. And I just want to thank the the founders and the leaders that came on for that portion of season two and their vulnerability. And it's really hard to come into a public forum and not just do like the, the, the victory lap of, Mm. you know, here's, here's the greatness and here's all the things that we did perfectly well and and how we, we survived, which are always great stories. And I love hearing them, but like, come on, we all just want to hear the problems because we can all relate to some extent. And so Mm. that was really, really a great portion of it. And then, yeah, had some private, you know, personal issues and timing and things like that and just needed to like reprioritize things in my life. And then our savior, Kiri Masters, came in to to help swoop in and and resurrect the podcast alongside me. And she was such a fantastic co-host. And she came in and we talked about um just sort of these really basic human components, like what makes people human. So our need for community, our need for purpose, our our memory, our need for creativity. So actually we centered the rest of season two around those 
human making emotions because this mm-hmm. is a human centric retail podcast. And so really what I wanted to do was chat with you guys, having listened to the episodes now, and I know you have a few favorite moments and some questions. And then obviously in the world of digital and in the world of retail, 24 months is basically 10 years. And so there's things that have changed and things that we want to go back to and with our our older, wiser selves, <laughs> thinking back to a few months ago and what we would have mm. done differently and how the landscape has changed. Um, so ultimately, that's what we're here to chat about. And then, yeah, a little sneak peek at season three. If, if we could like maybe start off in a, a really good place, which is, you know, when we came together to launch Infinite Shelf um, as part of Future Commerce, uh, when we we spoke to you, we were saying like, I think one of our challenges was how how does Infinite Shelf play into the future commerce narrative and like some of the themes that we have and those themes change over time. And it's really amazing to watch how just, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe. You find people that are like-minded and you're creating content. Even when you're creating it independently, you wind up touching on a lot of the same subjects. And it's funny watching um, or going back and sort of reviewing what took place over season two, which was you know, about a year of uh, elapsed time uh, for the the season. Um, life changed, like you just said, so much in that space of that year. But just from the outset, from the first episode of season one with, um, or season two, uh, with Joe Fish, um, and you uh, from Wine Access, which, by the way, Brian, I felt like was like really up your alley. Oh, it was. <laughs> I actually signed up for Wine Access, or like I, on their newsletter, I've ordered from them. I've ordered some really good wine from them. Of course you have. Yeah. <laughs> As a result of that podcast. <laughs> there was a, a clip uh, that I felt like was uh, pretty prescient, but uh, he, at one point you were talking about like the change of leadership and, um, you know, Joe comes in as the new CEO and they'd lost like some 30 plus percent of their cu- customers. And he talks about like an existential crisis and his like, how do we get back on track was he was asking himself the question, why do we exist? Which is like right up Brian's alley. Oh, I've, yeah. <laughs> uh, is this existentialism like crisis of a perma existential crisis? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, as a brand, you've got to be able to do it as a brand. If you can't have an existential crisis as a brand, why do you like what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? You know, it's like it's just there's a lot of existentialism in the in the purpose what is my purpose? Why do I exist? What? It, and I think the the greatest of leaders and the brands that endure have to go through that. Something I think I probably think about daily. So when when you know, came into came into role, uh, you know, newly minted CEO with with the company, you know, we had shed 40% of our customers. Our our uh, our employees have had are probably confused and on what's actually happening. Um, right. and who are we? So I think coming into that, it really was kind of determining like we need to solve, we need to solve a couple of those questions um, and we need to do it fast. So it was, it was okay. What makes us special? So we answered those. It was, you know, why, like, why do we exist? And we said, okay, well, if, if we think about it, like, let's, our, our mission is to connect people in place through wine. And, and the, our purpose and the reason we exist is we make it easy for people to discover, enjoy the world's most inspiring wines. That to me was like, the timing was spot on. It was the kind of conversation we have all the time in other venues at Future Commerce. And it just 
speaks to people that are seasoned builders like you and the people that you bring around you are having the same kind of conversation over and over. Those are the actual things that nobody's talking about because everybody wants to share the 10 tips or tricks or, you know, whatever. Um, but so I felt like just from the start, you, you, you laid a really great foundation in season two. Um, and we'll get to the sort of vulnerability stuff in the, in the deep emotional human making components. But I just wanted to give you props from the outset because I thought that that was really, uh, a really wonderful way to open things up. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought it was really phenomenal. Like that vulnerability was sort of evident, you know, moving into, um, you know, episodes two and three, um, you know, and continuing on with uh, Lauren and and Katie. I thought that, uh, you know, they were also like they just really opened up their business. And like you said uh, at the outset of this of this podcast, like super like super interesting conversation not many uh founders will actually like go into that level of detail about how their business is being run and the challenges they're facing and what a great way to sort of set the stage for um a season two episode five um this is vulnerability part one and then also episode six which is part two to that episode i feel like you took it to the next level and you actually cover topics i've never heard covered on a podcast before a business podcast mm. and just i think opened up the conversation for people to truly bring them their full selves to the conversation you know and at work and with and with uh, and with friends as well that's amazing Ingrid, let me let me ask you, when you have the, you know, you have an audience listening to you, there can be sort of a performative aspect to the way that content is created. And some of us, I, I've been accused of being like performatively vulnerable. Um, what What's your, you seem to have a very, very different approach to, was it hard to sort of open up in that way? What's, um, was it freeing? I don't know. That's such a good question. I would say... Once I made the decision that it was important for me to share that information um, and to open up about, you know, not everything needs to come into work with you, right? Like if I just got into an argument with my husband over burning toast or something stupid <laughs> like that, <Yeah. laughs> um, I just, I do think that there are boundaries, right? But then there are really things that will impact how you think and your where your brain is at and and how strategic you're able to be and how present you're able to be. I think once you make that decision, whether you're hosting a podcast or whether you're leading a team or whether you're mm. on a team, um, committing then to that and just not having the boundaries around the things that you've decided to make public and, mm. and share, I think is sort of that line where the fake vulnerability or, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't accuse you of that Philip ever, but I just mean like in general, there are people who are like, oh, I need to be more accessible or more human. And so I'm going to like, you know, be a little bit superficial, but talk about my family or talk about whatever. And it, and people aren't stupid, right? Mm -hmm. It always comes off as what it is inauthentic or just put on to, to check that box. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would say for me, it's more just about deciding what things are going to come into that sphere of your life and then committing to that being the full story, like completely adding color to it. You have, Brian, this is, 
you you said something earlier and I didn't want to correct it in the moment, but you said brands have to have an existential crisis. Brands are corporations. They're not people. Mm-hmm. They're run by people. And I feel like this is the 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 chasm and like we we often I know that's simple language and I don't want to nitpick it, but like this is the chasm is that we personify brands as if they can feel things. And so this idea of authenticity is really it can be performative vulnerability, performative authenticity when it's a brand and that's when it's not genuine. That's when it doesn't come through. It has to come from the people. And that's a thing I've heard you talk about, Ingrid, both on the show and off of like what makes a brand different and it's about the people and that's work that you put in every day. It's not a tactic that you employ in the short term. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Totally. Yeah. And, and it, you know, we actually did in season two talk a lot about this topic and like kind of broke it down into the purpose episode. I think we talked a lot about, you know, brands that do it well and then brands that just do it as marketing and it's just really evident. And the same thing with like creativity and storytelling. Um, I think a brand that does a really good job is uh, Bobby. It's like that infant formula brand. And it was started by mothers and they didn't love what the off the shelf formula options were. And they didn't want to sort of um, create even more friction in motherhood with like breastfeeding versus formula. And they kind of, they are so delicate and thoughtful and respectful while they're waiting in those waters and also created a product that mothers want to reach for. And again, that's just such an authentic, that's where you start having, okay, sure. It's a brand, right? It's a product, it's Bobby and it's, it's, it's got this purpose and in the market, but behind that, the humans behind that are mothers. They they experience this, these feelings and these emotions between sometimes the difficulty of breastfeeding and all of the emotions tied up into that, and then created a product that people would feel good about feeding their children. And so, you know, that's just an example where, yeah, you do end up personifying this brand, but at the end of the day, it is the people that are making these decisions behind the brand. And I think that some of the best brands are the brands that are run by people who are the consumers of the brand or are solving the problem that they themselves ran into and are now realizing how many more millions of people have that same problem that needs to be solved. In episode three, um, when you were talking with Higher Dose, um, which Brian touched on a second, but uh, you kind of were diving into like those differences between men and women and sort of like motivations and these very specific problems and gendered problems around the, the way that you have to uh, take care of your own body. Like the original biohacker, I think, was the thing that kind of came out of that to me is like women have had to be biohackers from the beginning of time. Yeah. <laughs> and like so much more asked of our bodies. Oh, sure. And and in this role is like in motherhood as well. Um, and childbearing, it's like it is a thing that is is so human and so unique to your experience. And a, and it's an unfortunate thing. But I don't know if you know this, most podcast consumers are men. Um <laughs> Probably because we don't have to, you know, bear children. Um, so we've got all this extra time to listen to, you know, hostile <laughs> culture. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that th- those things are sort of intertwined in that having this um, this unique experience and then sharing that experience with others in conversation, but also trying to weave that into like 
maybe it's not bring your whole self to work, but definitely informs your availability and emotional availability in your headspace while you're there. Right. That's, that's part of it. And you brought that in season two in a big way. There's no real women speaking in this space and owning that space, which is such a shame because, you know, we feel like women are the original biohackers. We've always been biohacking, you know, we're the ones that have to tap into our consciousness and, and our feelings and, and know what is good for us, what's not good for us, prep our body before we have a baby, while we have a baby, after we have a baby. I think you touched on things that were, like you said, like really core to the human experience. So you started with vulnerability and then you moved into sort of all the things that like genuinely, um, you know, make up what, what motivate us and like how we function. Right. And so moving from vulnerability into community building and belonging. So the group dynamics, mm-hmm. creativity and storytelling and, and, you know, and, and, and that's a native part of humanity, uh, curiosity, uh, which is part of, uh, future commerce's core values, um, as a business, uh, it, you know, uh, then purpose and then memory. Like, I feel like you, you really like st- struck out to uncover all the different parts of a person and what makes them actually like, like what motivates them, which is interesting because you, you approached it from like a business standpoint, but also from a consumer standpoint, like totally. these two things coming together are what make up the relationship between brand and consumer. Oh, totally. And, yeah. And I think, I think you did a great job of like the completeness of, of story there was like amazing. <laughs> I appreciate that. I think it is sort of that whole thing that we've always imagined about this podcast from the beginning, which was it's this long table and there are brands and companies and people who work for those companies who are humans serving the humans on the other side of the dinner table or retail shelf. And so bringing that full-fledged, the thing that unites us, right? Because there are so many things that we do in this dichotomy thinking of brand and business serves consumers and they kind of like create these walls and boundaries around what those two entities are forgetting the fact that actually we're all just humans in the same way that people that make up brands are consumers too. And so that's where a lot of the conversation around memory and purpose and community, both sides of the table, the the businesses and the consumers participate in that and have those needs. And so whether you're thinking about organizational structure, leadership, growing, evolving your company, um, new product offerings, things like that, those are all centered in human function and decisions and desires and needs. And then not forgetting that the people at the other end of the table are the recipients of that, but also are contributing to hopefully making those decisions with you um, is is sort of the, the whole purpose and the reason why it's still a business podcast and not a podcast. Just, <laughs> Ingrid really feels strongly about creativity today. <laughs> Nobody knows your customers better than you do. So why limit yourself? Offer outstanding customer experiences with Shopware. 
a turnkey open commerce platform featuring the Rule Builder for powerful and fully customized customer journeys, the Flow Builder for no-code automation of complex business operations and everyday workflows, and Guided Selling to create interactive live video events straight from your Shopware website. Trust Shopware's open framework and powerful network to help you deliver the exceptional experiences your customers deserve now and into the future. Join tens of thousands of successful merchants worldwide. Find out more at shopware.com slash infinite shelf. This is what makes things like CAC and ROAS actually have meaning. We're like, we, we yeah. throw all of these measurements at all these things, but why are we doing it? Like it's to actually understand what's going on with all of these other things. Yep. And we have these metrics that we've assigned to them. And let me tell you, we've seen metrics evolve in the last year. Like ROAS is now like a dirty word. But <laughs> it's yeah, like the, we're going to see them evolve again because we're trying to all measure something that is in, it's like, it's, it's an intrinsic, intrinsic human uh, experience yes. and it's uh mm. it's a phenomenological experience and so like the the it's what what each person experiences individually is what we're going to have to measure eventually and hopefully ai can help us do that because it's really hard to do as a bunch of like sort of turing based <laughs> logical <laughs> brains right now <laughs> i would actually like to touch on something that there was a there was a moment in time you talk about like the human experience part of the human experience is maybe like fitting in and finding like fat in fashion yeah. right and um and it's like you know Maybe a little group think too sometimes. A lot has changed uh, since the beginning of season two, including a bit of a crypto winter. And there was a time where I think that we, I th there was a Shop Talk episode from 2022 at the beginning of season two, where we may have been like sort of on the fence about where, you know, Web3 and Web3 communities might be going. Uh, I think you were even toying with maybe going deeper down the rabbit hole on Web3 for season two. A lot of that changed dramatically, especially as your own, you know, you started dealing with your own personal stuff in your life and you sort of reprioritized and that made you rethink things. What, what's your thinking now, Ingrid, as you're looking back on season two and sort of like the, the way that the conversations in the retail and, and, and e-commerce e ecosystems have changed in that time? Yeah, it's I well, so the metaverse and cryptocurrency and things like that, there were there were things about that community that were super intoxicating to me. Just full, just full stop. I mean, I I likened it to back when like AOL and the early days of the internet was around and we were all just sort of like fishing around in these different chat rooms and meeting different people. And it just felt um, new again. And we were all sort of the, the nerdiest of us were learning to like code for the first time and, you know, teaching ourselves HTML to have a cool like profile <laughs> and things like that. And um, the constant discovery of new things and people and um, that I, I almost it's like this Alice in Wonderland experience it felt like of falling down that rabbit hole and I think that's probably where that comes from now that I think yeah 
<laughs> but like, like this, it really felt like this Alice in Wonderland thing where it triggered all of the things that make me the most excited and have and have sort of set me on the path of digital and e-commerce in general. It was just a, a part of the ecosystem that was constantly and still is constantly in flux. And I, I love those components of it. And that was just in the metaverse and, and crypto and all of that was just in hyperdrive and web three. And then you had all these like philosophical things about the banking infrastructure and, you know, how governments back money and just all of those things were just so fascinating to me. So yeah, I, I totally got intoxicated by some of the rhetoric and some of the information and just learning about it and wrapping my head around it. But I think even if you go back to that episode, I still grounded the conversation and at least how I was looking at it professionally, like when I take out the sort of hobbyist version of that, which was highly there, um, professionally, it all just still goes back to who are you trying to connect with and service and what practical problem are you trying to solve? And the further you get away from that, whether it's like a problem that is really, really practical, like I need a, let's go back to the toaster, I need a new toaster. Um, or I'm an artist and I'm trying to connect with people and I'm trying to make them feel a certain emotion. It just, all of those things are constant and that need is always there. And there are always going to be different platforms and different ways to meet that need whether you're a consumer or a brand. And it was really fascinating to me how some of the offerings of Web3 and the metaverse were seemingly aimed at doing that, right? And this is no critique of of like sort of following a lot of the conversation in the ecosystem because that's part of building great content too is trying to answer questions that people have right now in this moment. I think also you went on to talk about curiosity and you know, that is what spurs all of this is Mm -hmm. staying curious about the things that are both, uh, evergreen and sort of truism in the way that we build businesses and especially in retail, it used to be a generational business. (laughs) You you had like a family business that would pass down from generation to generation. It's, it was a trade that you learned and adopted. It became like a family, a learned behavior of how to create, you know, so, and a learned skill set too. Yeah, exactly. right. Yeah. Gorgeous is the e-commerce help desk that turns your customer service into a profit center. Powered by machine learning and automation, Gorgeous can help your brand turn visitors into shoppers, unlock sales through live chat, text, and social media, and increase your ad effectiveness by the equivalent of a five percent increase in ad spend. Gorgeous continues all of these communication channels through email, SMS, Instagram, DMs, live chat, phone, and more, all organized in one place. With this deep integration with your e-commerce store, you'll be able to quickly see all customer data, order history, and take actions right from your help desk. To learn more about why 8,000 customers, including Steve Madden, Princess Polly, and Marine Lair, use Gorgeous, go to G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot com slash infinite shelf and get two months free today. 
Someone on my team thought I either had superpowers or woke up at 5 a.m. to crunch numbers. Turns out I just used Triple Whale. One of their customers actually said that. No one has to know your secret weapon is Triple Whale's powerful analytics platform built to pinpoint your ad spend across networks, helping you visualize campaign performance for smarter, more effective ad spends. Do you have superpowers? Only one way to find out. Hit trytriplewhale.com slash infinite shelf to try for yourself. One of the things that I still hold constant as a principle for me, it's thinking about, and, and this can now be, I think, applied to all of the cool stuff that's happening with AI and ChatGPT and the plugins and all of those things. It's that same thing of like, wow, the world is constantly changing. And there are going to be things that are introduced that are going to necessitate me changing along with them. And that's, I always want to be on the side of adapting to those things or, or trying them out and being open to them. So mm-hmm. while things maybe with the metaverse are more complicated or, or like less exciting maybe now than they were two years ago, I still am fully, you know, I'm always going to want to nurture the part of me that wants to know what the new next thing is and be the opposite of like the Ludite. Is that how you pronounce it? Ludite? Ludite, Ludite, yeah. (laughs) Ludite, Ludite. Yeah. The story of the Ludites is is fascinating, right? Like the Mm -hmm. actual, like what happened? Like, yes. It's so, it's so. We're not familiar. Could you, do you want to recount it? I'll give you like the Cliff's notes. And it's basically um, when the, uh, sewing. So it used to be like when you would have, um, like wool would be, would be done by hand. Right. And all mm-hmm. it was a very, very like labor intensive process. And there were a lot of people who were like dealt with wool. And there's probably a, a good word for them. Brian, do you know the word for the people that would like actually do it by like, like weavers? Right. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. would use it on the loom. Right. And then there would be there, a machine came out that would, actually mechanize that and and not require the people to be sewers and the people to work, you know, on with their hands. And it was this huge thing where everyone was, again, afraid of losing their jobs and losing their livelihood all the way to, I think it was like Queen Victoria said, I will absolutely not. It was probably Queen Elizabeth the first, actually, now that I think about it. Um, I will not, I will not buy my garments from mm-hmm this, this machinery. I want to make sure that my public is, is working and fed and all of that. And, you know, I think she was trying to be on the side of the people, but in reality, what happened was, um, the industry that cropped up around this now mechanized thing that went from being one person doing one thing at a time to, you know, one machine doing a thousand things at a time actually exponentially grew, the jobs and the market and the economy around that. And it was a net positive for everyone. Um, and there's a lot of examples about that on that, you know, mm. the internet. And I think there's a lot of things with AI that, that are similar, but then the Ludites were the people who actually broke into the machinery warehouse and like burned down all of the machines. Yeah. We're going to stop it. We'll just, uh, you know, nowadays it's like, we'll just unplug the, the machines. We need right. a <laughs> six month moratorium. That's probably a butchered sort of like trying to make it not long winded, but still long winded. No, but no, it's good. It was good. These yeah, a great recap and actually change the sabotaging of the, of the machinery to sort of 
prevent an eventuality is usually how that's used. And I think that that's such a, a key point in understanding the current moment too. This has happened once before. I mean, we've had this conversation in the e-commerce ecosystem with traditional retail for 25, 30 years. I, I've heard, um, you know, I've, I've heard of uh, channel teams, you know, cannibalizing each other's, you know, uh, ad spend budget, oh uh, you know, siloing in, you know, businesses, sabotaging each other's uh, numbers for their own benefit, gerrymandering reports. Like I've, I've seen it all. And this doesn't even have to happen at the industry level. Like it's happening in every business today already is that some people are tearing down other people's channels so that they can prop up their own uh, because they don't like change. And that traditional retail mindset uh, has been afraid of digital transformation for the longest time. Um, And suddenly, yeah, it's just, it's the change never comes as fast as the, as the techno, you know, the tech technological fear mongers like to say that it yes. will. It's been 30 years for e-commerce. Like we're, we're very fearful of, e- of AI right now. You know, it could be 25, 30 years before we ever see it really make a dent in, you know, in productivity. Who knows? And um, who knows? So if you look back though, and you see the companies that actually didn't ignore the digital revolution and didn't ignore all of the things that were happening, all of their boats rised, right? Yeah. so and so it it goes to show you again you know the way that the 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 loom made the industries bigger added jobs added was all accretive Mm -hmm. um not only is it just the right thing to do or maybe the growth mindset thing to do which now is like the trendy thing but it's ultimately the better business decision and so it's not just about, oh, being ahead of the curve just to be ahead of the curve. There's time after time evidence that when you adapt to what the new environment looks like and where people are existing, it is net positive for the entire business, not just for the digital channels. Yeah, I think it, Go ahead, Brian. The real, the real question is how quickly will things be adopted? Like it's it, – I think you look at uh, – NFTs and I'm sorry, crypto what? and blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> what are those? <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of you know hype, and, and I think like there was a lot of like what we're talking about. Hey, if we're early adopters, if we're on top of this, we're going to be out mm-hmm. in front of it. Like it's going to change how business is done. Um, and then it turned out like it was kind of more of a foundational technology that's going yeah. to affect things on a really like slow and long-term basis maybe. that, you know, that, that, you know, and well, maybe you say maybe, uh, and, and as a person who has a significant <laughs> amount of their net worth, tied up in it, <laughs> I can speak with great, uh, verisimilitude that, <laughs> that uh, it's a maybe it's a maybe, uh, <laughs> and, and then we look at AI, which has been adopted very, very quickly. I mean, you're saying, Philip, you said maybe it's going to be 25, 25 years before we see a significant change in the way that we actually function. The nature uh, of work. The nature of work, the nature yeah. of commerce, how we purchase things, how we engage with the world. And, th- and I think there is some truth to that. I think what we're seeing, though, is really practical application really quickly. Back to what you're saying, Ingrid, when you are evaluating NFTs and you came to those initial interviews, you had you had your like hobbyist hat on and your like professional, like what does this actually mean for me hat on? And I think back to 
actually episode four of season two, where we were at Shop Talk all together. We were talking about the metaverse. I made fun of Paxson for like the whole episode. Um, <laughs> and like, <laughs> good times. Um, they don't the, care like surfing right now well, no, they'll never they'll never be on our show anyway no they, they're never gonna answer our calls at this point probably not no not after they listen to that episode that's for sure even before Sorry, that <laughs> like the we were already at a point where we were like hey like this metaverse thing this is not what is this like what like is this actually the future yeah, that we, we are, are going to actually yeah, have yeah. Yeah. yeah so a year later and i just got back from shop talk um, I think everyone else is saying that now too, <laughs> um, which is, it's funny to see like they, like the before and after I, I sat in on like the final like takeaways session at Shop Talk and like, they were like live stream metaverse, you know, uh, frictionless. And then they, they, they got done and they're like, Hey, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe none of these things. <laughs> <laughs> but like, my question then is you're, you're hiring someone, right? And you ask them what they think about the metaverse. For me, and okay, this isn't a question, this is a statement. I'm going to hire the person who got really into the metaverse, not because they got it right or wrong, but because I now know how their mind adapts to new information and how growth oriented mm. their mindset is and i'm hiring that person like just because they're wrong we we all were some to some degree at some point either interested or yeah. wrong or right about the metaverse whatever but just the fact that we were exploring it and talking about it and totally. learning about it enough to talk about it is indicative of who i want on my team well you you actually touched on this and um man i was trying really hard to make this a linear you know, survey of the last season and then Brian zipped all around. So we're going to just jump around a little bit. Of course. That's how I, that's how my brain works, man. It's <laughs> your quantum buddy. That's right. In the curiosity episode, which I think is episode nine, you said that this idea of being curious and this trait of being curious, especially around decision-making, you said that, yeah, it's like you get all this new data all the time and you're trying to make all of these decisions based on new data and you're taking actions based on this information. And, you know, some of that information could be useful now in this quarter and some of that could be useful now for, you know, I don't know, five quarters from now or 10 quarters from now. So I am, I am curious now, what do you make of the decision-making that we make around, like, you know, you just noticed, you just mentioned a few things there. There are the trends and the um, survey results of people determining how they're going to spend money or lose money and and how they perceive that. And then also the curiosity around um, making decisions as a business owner based on all of this new data that we get. How do you start to parse out the things that are good to know, maybe a little bit noisy versus, wow, like taking action on this piece of information is really going to make the make or break this, this business or this quarter. Knowing how to sort 
which is relevant now and which is relevant for the future is the job of the leader. That curiosity component, though, is the mainstay of everyone, especially in the innovation side of a business, especially as a business that's trying to constantly transform in a world that has never changed as fast as it is. And working at the scale of the brands that you do, these are the traits that leaders need. It's not the, are you a metaverse expert? It's the, are you an adaptability professional? And and that's where like it also ladders into the the that you know one of my, my more favorite episodes of the season which was talking about purpose and if we take away this idea that your purpose is intrinsically tied not to the fact that you have work that's meaningful but to the skill that you perform if we are in the midst of this big upheaval in ai and productivity and that those skills are being co-opted by something that's innately smarter, faster, and more knowledgeable than you'll ever be. Where is your purpose? This is a wonderful existential crisis for humanity to realize that maybe our purpose is not in the fact that I write a newsletter, you, you, you know, look over PLs and Brian reads philosophy. Like maybe the, maybe, maybe the, maybe the purpose is something a little more human and less about the work and the role and the productivity that we like churn out and the amount of attention that we, you know, command from people. And it's something like even more deeper and esoteric than that. Finding purpose becomes the human pursuit, not how do we make use of the time that we have here and, and you know, mm. how, how we're spending that time. It's about like the search for purpose. I think actually abstracting work away from that conversation could be really meaningful for humanity. And that's something that if we had to tie this whole season together, like, you probably didn't set out to communicate that overall, but those are the things that I'm experiencing looking at this content now through the current lens. So it's like, it's worth, like really, in, really powerful stuff. Anti-workism. I don't know if you've read the Derek Thompson series on work uh, mm-hmm. from the Atlantic. He, he, quote, he coined this term a, a couple of years back called workism. And he said, Americans true religion is is work. <laughs> Workism, that's where we derive our 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 greatest value from and push put our our ourselves and our self-worth into uh is corporations and 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 the work that we do for them and our and our careers. And like to like you said, Philip, to sort of like extract out purpose from that and say, wait, well, hold on, like maybe this is like not the religion we should all be following. Um, that's such a such a powerful statement. I I I love that 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 you kind of came away from the season with that. Even and I I would love to say we set out to make that your <laughs> experience and realization. It just actually happened organically, and I do think that weaving in the inevitable components of being a human running a business or being a human consuming from a business um, will hopefully lead people to those types of, of things. And even along my journey as an individual and as a professional, having to come to that realization that I'm my entire value isn't derived from my professional accomplishments and the title or the company that I'm working for, or how many people work for me or how big the budgets I manage are. And, um, I'm, that's a journey that I'm on daily, right? Like I think mm. about where I draw the line between who I am as a professional and who I am as a human. Mm. And that line has always been inextricably linked for me, at least there's, there's no, mm. there hasn't been a, a strong delineation. And that is a, 
journey that I'm on right now with reprioritizing and becoming a mother and, you know, wanting to spend more time out in nature and, and wanting to, to build a community and things like that, that aren't just so linked to who I am as, as a, as a corporate employee. Hmm. Mm. Well, uh, what an incredible way to spend, uh, <laughs> some time reviewing the content of season two. Uh, yeah. What are you doing next? Mm. Oh, well, oh man, season three. I'm really stoked for it. And it actually, it does play into, it's it's a really nice evolution from season two and all of the foundation that we've set. And even season one, frankly, I think season one, we, we led into a lot of things that were very tactical and D2C focused and discounting what that's going to do and um, all of those things. And so season three, will follow me and a very exciting and very fun and wickedly smart Mm -hmm. co-host that shall remain nameless for now. I'm going to tease you guys. Well, you guys know, but I'm going to tease the audience. I love a tease. They are are a freaking force and I'm so stoked to get to talk to them um, regularly and and share those conversations with you. But the, the whole idea for season three will be the existential identity crisis of D2C brands these days, right? So we went from D2C darlings and everyone needs to go direct to consumer and build their website and forget about all these other channels. And it sort of, it completely changed the game um, as it relates to how you acquire new customers, what is required of a brand to go to market. And there were just all of these things that came in with D2C. And then of course, some of the, the dirty the dirty secrets underneath of all the VC funding and profitability issues and um, <laughs> getting to a place where you're actually going to be profitable when you have a brand that people already love and you've checked all the other boxes. And so that that industry is an industry that I, I grew up with, right? So like I, it, it, it sure. completely parallels my professional world development, like 15 years, basically, of being either leading a D2C team or part of a D2C business, and then having been part of acquisitions and having been part of brands that added D2C, you know, like, so all of that experience parallels my professional development too. Um, And so the exploration is, well, what, what's now, right? Like, what are we, what are we doing as D2C leaders? What does D2C even mean in 2023 and beyond? Is D2C still a thing? Does it matter? How, like, what, what does that all look like? And there's clearly, thankfully, no clear answers, but there's a lot to explore. And hopefully in every episode, there'll be a lot of like practical takeaways and also maybe some, some war stories and some funny things that people can really relate to as being part of the D2C journey. Yeah. Well, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, gonna get into, like, generational stuff at, in the workplace. Like mm. how do we all coexist now that Gen Z's showed up and millennials are there and boomers and everyone is just joining this, this chaotic party. And Gen X. Oh wait, what? Gen X. The Gen X uh, <laughs> set 
uh, which I I conveniently opt myself into when it makes sense for the conversation, so I can you know confess. Uh, on the line, age He's or on the line, be a millennial. Um, they're too busy, like you know, just trying to deal with their arthritis at this point. Like there's not a there's not a lot of you know can't really fault them oh, for sheesh. the conversation. He went there. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, menopause and arthritis, Brian. It's like those are big deals. You got to deal with those things as they come up. You can't. You know, can't be weighing into every online debate. I feel like you're talking about yourself right now. Like that's oh, what's happening. Hundred percent. <laughs> but I think you're joking. But like, so you know, there was this whole article in the New York Times with like millennials hitting midlife crisis, right? And like yeah. that got a lot of press because it's crazy because we're supposed to be like these young whippersnappers <laughs> who are coming in and like getting yelled off your lawn, but in reality, we're just like we're hella old now. Yeah. <laughs> so Man, what are we I doing? Feel old. I'm feeling that I'm an elder millennial. I'll I'll claim that affiliation, that group affiliation. And we're, we're uh, geriatric millennials. I think. Yeah, geriatric. <laughs> That's right. I, I, and I'm feeling that a little bit. That's, you know, it's, it's tough. And that's why I feel like when we're having these purpose conversations, like there is a a work intersection with sort of what am I doing at this point in my life, especially folks of us who have been in digital, you know, digital or digital transformation in some way, you know, for most of our lives, we've been doing this because we were the people who were the early adopters who came into these like legacy businesses. And we were people with the new ideas. We're brilliant young people who just made it happen. (laughs) And we were the translators too, right? Like we were like we we lived both in the analog and the digital world. And so we we still, I think today, play that role. But now Gen Z is coming in. We're we're not gonna have the episode right now, Philip. Like No, okay. I'm just saying it, it makes me excited <laughs> to hear it when it happens because I think a lot of the conversation that's missing right now is how do we deal with that change that's already in it's like it's not coming, it's here already. Exactly. It's already been in motion for a little while. How do we all deal with that? That could yeah. be a really interesting set of I feel like we haven't dealt with it. Even though it's here, it's not been dealt with yet. I'm actively <laughs> trying not to do it. That. <laughs> that is what season three is all about. Mm. So I hope you tune in. Um, and I'm just so grateful to get to continue this really fun and hopefully fruitful journey for everyone involved and uh thanks again for for a really great season too it's been a really fun exciting and um growing journey thanks for having us thank you for doing it can't wait to see what you do in season three thanks you guys see you soon see you Andrew. <laughs>